Last week, we finished our Isaiah series. And next Sunday, October 18th, we begin a brand new fall series. Maybe you've seen the posters around the church building. Uh, we're going to be looking at a New Testament book, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel according to Mark. And so that starts next Sunday, October 18th. That leaves today, October 11th. What about today? In between Isaiah and Mark, what's a preacher to do? I've titled today's message, A Letter to Whomever Becomes President. (laughs) They say there are two things you should never discuss in polite conversation, religion and politics. I thought, wouldn't it be fun to tackle them together in one sermon? What could go wrong? Um... The, uh, the boy, the 8 a.m. when I said, today I'm going to preach on a letter to the next president. Everybody just got so tense. I was like, relax. Uh, I don't know if you've heard. Apparently there's an election coming up in our country. Uh, I'm not sure you've heard this. But it seems to me that when it comes to politics, when it comes to an election cycle every four years, there are two kinds of people. On the one hand, you have the kind of person that is just almost energized by all this. I mean, they can't wait to dive deep into it. They love, they're very political, they're very opinionated. They can't wait to get on social media. They love to listen. I mean, they listen to every minute of the debate and then listen to the commentary only from the people that they, you know, agree with about whether or not who won. And they love it and they love it. And they, they get so energized by it. There are others every four years that are like, I can't wait for this to be over, right? I can't believe we have to do it again. Please just let it be over. I don't want to hear any of it. And here's what I've learned. Those two people generally marry each other. <laughs> you know, or they become best friends, or they find themselves as roommates. It never fails. God puts those people in your life. Well, wherever you are on that spectrum, let, let, let me say a couple things at the outset. Number one, notice carefully, and if there was ever a carefully worded sermon, uh, notice carefully the title of the message. A letter to whomever becomes president. You have enough people in your life telling you who that person will be. So that is not the point of today. You have a vote. I encourage you to exercise your vote. But my purpose is not to tell you who that person should be. In fact, if you've got a lot of spare time, these sermons are recorded. You can go back and listen and look for some subliminal message that I was secretly signaling you. You know, like when I talked about sin, I'd be on the left side of the podium. Or, you know, or, or there's something, I promise you, um, you can go back and look. You can play the sermon backwards. There's no hidden message. I even wore a, a tie that's both red and blue to try to, you know, completely alleviate any pressure. We can all relax. Um, but no, instead, my purpose is to draft an open letter to whoever it is that's going to be in the Oval Office in November. Second thing I want to say at the outset is I got the idea of this great title from an old Andy Stanley series that he wrote 15 years ago called Letter to the Next President. I thought it was so insightful when I heard it over 15 years ago that I have preached something like this message every four years uh, right around election time. Because, you know, we get this deep dive into an ancient leader's testimony. You have an ancient ruler giving his testimony. It's incredible. Turn to Daniel chapter 4 and I'll show you. And if you're here and you're watching, maybe you're watching this online or you're here and you're not even like, you're not even a believer. You would say, I don't even know if I am a Christian. 
then pay attention to this message because if nothing else, one of your objections is probably that the Bible is irrelevant, doesn't have anything to do with me. You're going to see today, like, this is incredibly relevant. And if nothing else, it'll encourage you to dive deeper into Scripture on your own. But Daniel chapter 4. And as you're turning to Daniel chapter 4, let me give you a little bit of background, a little bit of history of what we're going to see. The year is 580 B.C., 500 years before Christ. And the children of Israel are in Babylon. What on earth are they doing in Babylon? Their homeland is Jerusalem. Yes, but they are in exile. And the king over Babylon is a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now, to truly understand exile and all that that means, you would have to do a lengthy study on the book Isaiah. Show of hands, is anyone familiar with Isaiah? Has anyone heard? Okay, okay, thank goodness. Had anyone been like, who? I'd be like, that would be very disheartening. Uh, if you're just joining us, we've been in a series on Isaiah since um, 2005. Now, <laughs> basically God says, if you'll follow me, I'll make you into a great nation. It makes this covenant. If not, he uses exile. He uses the conquering of Babylon, taking, you know, taking Jerusalem's walls down, destroying the temple, and taking them into exile as, as a wake-up call, as, as judgment. And Nebuchadnezzar, brilliant leader, and give credit where credit's due. Nebuchadnezzar, brilliant. He, did, he realized a better strategy if you really want a world empire, a better strategy than just destroying everything, wiping them out, crushing them all, a better strategy is this. Go to the big cities you conquer and take the best of the best, take the influencers, bring them to Babylon. And you conquer, watch this, you conquer because over time, these people that are supposed to, you know, Yahweh's the only God and we're, you know, culturally, we're Israel. And we've got, uh-uh. Over time, they begin to think like Babylon. They begin to think like the Babylonians. They begin to react like the Babylonians. They begin to use social media just like the Babylonians use it. They begin to do everything just like the Babylonians would do it. And what they did, what, what Nebuchadnezzar realized is the best way to conquer is not through outright conquest. The best way to conquer is assimilation. Nebuchadnezzar realized what Satan still uses today. You really want to take down God's people? Don't try outright conquest. Just assimilate them. Until God's people begin to think and act just like the world. They spend their money just like the world. They, there's no difference between the way a Christian uses social media and the way a lost person uses social media. He said, what's happened is assimilation, see? And that was his strategy back in the day. The problem is there were some that wouldn't really seem to assimilate. I mean, they learned the Chaldean language. They become outwardly Babylonian. Guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they would stand up for for God, and he was blown away in Daniel 3, where we last left Nebuchadnezzar, the shattering me, shattering Abednego, and the fiery furnace. It looks like he turns a corner, but he gives us his testimony. He says, no, that's not what did it. That's not what did it. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king, is brought to his knees in worship of the true and living Yahweh God, and he tells you, here's what did it. He gives his testimony, and here it is. Pick up the action in verse 4. He was doing good. He was taking it easy. He sets the stage. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, at ease and prosperous, contented and prosperous. Contented mean, it doesn't just mean he kicked his sandals off and he was laying back in his easy chair. It means he, it, it, he's the emperor. There's no threats. Nobody else has an army but him. As far as he's conquered the known world, he's been uh, in power somewhere between 30 and 35 years now. And, he's, and he's, he's got everything. Ah, but something shook him badly. Verse 5, I had a dream that made me afraid. No, 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 y'all. Like, 
really, let me restate this. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Let me just insert a quick little application point for anyone who has trouble sleeping at night. For anyone who struggles with anxiety, for anyone who struggles with fears, and you're just looking for a good night's sleep. Don't think that if you had a little more money or a little more security or a little more power, that that would provide you the peace you're looking for. How do I know that? Nebuchadnezzar had everything. Nebuchadnezzar had all the power in the world. He had all the money in the world. He had all the riches in the world. So don't think, if I just had a little more, if I just had a little more, then I could get a good night's sleep. No, some of the most powerful people in the world are also the most tormented. Now here, let's learn from that. Okay, so I command it. So he has this dream. What do I do? I got to find out what it means. He knows it's more than a dream. He knows it's an omen. He knows it's, see, he calls it vision. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, the magicians couldn't do it. The enchanters couldn't do it. The astrologers couldn't do it. The diviners couldn't do it. I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Verse eight, finally, Daniel came into my presence. If you're familiar at all with the book of Daniel, at some point you got to scratch your head and wonder like, why don't we just like start with Daniel next time? You know what I mean? Like over and over in the book of Daniel, they go through everybody and finally like, who can do it? I don't know. Only like Daniel every time and he gets it right. Seems like at some point we would just start with Daniel. Whatever. Finally, Daniel came into my presence. I told him the dream. Now notice this. He is called Belteshazzar. The two, well, there's many, many gods in Babylon, but Marduk, and Marduk was the big god. His other name was Bel, B-E-L. So when Daniel came to Babylon, he gave him a Babylonian name, Bel Teshazzar. And that means in their language, Bel protect the king, Bel save the king. And he named him, look, Nebuchadnezzar's telling you, in my testimony at this point in the story, I'm still a pagan. I still worship Bel. Not to be accused of Baal, B-A-A-L. This is Bel, his God, after the name of my God. And here he says, and the spirit, something about Daniel was different. And so y'all give him credit, this This is a pagan trying to do theology the best he can. And so he says, the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Now, what does that mean? The spirit of the holy gods is in him. Well, all he's trying to say is, from a pagan theologian, I just know that like this guy's he's got something special, something special about him. He seems to always get it right and can interpret this dream. And the dream, he tells him the dream. Daniel, he tells him in the testimony. And I can share with you the the, the salient points of the dream. He says that uh, I saw a tree. And this tree went all the way to the heavens and spread out its branches as far as the eye could see. And underneath the shade of the tree were all the little forest critters. And the deer and the birds and everybody got to eat from the fruit of the tree. It protected all of the little citizens of the forest, right? Then, this is what terrified him, he saw a watcher, uh, an angel, a messenger. And this watcher from heaven calls down, down the tree cut it down and they cut down this mighty tree that went all across the known world cut it down and all the inhabitants under the tree had to flee right very scary only leave the stump and put an iron fence around it pick up the dream in verse 15 but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze in other words put a metal fence around the stump so that it'll be completely chopped down but nobody can remove the stump the stump will still be there remain in the ground in the grass of the field let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the earth. Did you see that? Suddenly the tree is a him. Now, <laughs> I, look, you, 
Daniel has been given the gift of interpreting dreams. I'm not saying that you and I have the prophetic gift to interpret dreams, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what, what's really going on here. You have a tree that extends to the known world, right? You, you oversee everything. Your empire is as high as the heavens, and that's about to be chopped down, and all the citizens that depend on you are gonna have to flee, and you let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live, what? Live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Okay, that's weird. Let his mind, yeah, verse 16, let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. We have no idea what seven times means. In other words, he's gonna, he's gonna go crazy, he's gonna lose his mind, and instead of having the mind of a human, he's gonna take on the mind of an animal until seven, does this mean seven years? Maybe. Does this mean seven seasons, which would be like a year and a half? Does it mean seven weeks, seven days? We don't know. We have no idea. Seven times. There you go. Next time my kids ask me for something, but when, but when? I'm going to be like, seven times. <laughs> Just leave it at that. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. And now he says why the chopping down and why the losing your mind and becoming like an animal for seven times. So that, here's the purpose. So that, one purpose. The living, that's all of us, may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. You are gonna see that two other times. This is, this is the point of this passage. The most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And all the smart guys in the kingdom couldn't figure it out, but then Daniel. Mm. Then Daniel says, I know exactly what it means. And verse 19, then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar. See, Nebuchadnezzar knows my testimony is going to be published, and I want everybody, they don't know him as Daniel. They all, the world knows him as Belteshazzar, so I want to make sure he gets credit for this. Was greatly perplexed for a time. Now, why? Is that because he couldn't figure it out? No, he knew. Here's why. His thoughts terrified him. Isn't that something? Daniel has to tell the king the bad news, but he loves the king. And so he... He's scared to lay this bad news on him or, or doesn't want, he wants to do it you know, gently. So finally, the king has to force it out of him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. In other words, you know, tell me. And Belteshazzar answered, I wish this were a dream that one of your enemies had. <laughs> I think that's a tactful way to put it. My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Why do I point this out? Notice the love of Daniel. Notice the compassion um, this is probably a model for us as for how, I mean, here's Daniel, this like, he's loyal to Yahweh. He has been brought to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar's tried to assimilate him. He does not agree with Nebuchadnezzar's religious views. Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan. There's nothing about that that Daniel approves of. And yet, he loves him. Let me say it again. There's compassion. He's gonna tell the king the hard truth, but he loves the king. I think what we see a lot of times when religion meets politics, we see one of two extremes. We either see the uncritical lover, right? Some, some religious people cozy up to their political candidate and no matter what that person does, they'll never say anything negative about him. Nope, nope, my guy's perfect, that guy's Satan. Any questions? And that's it. My guy's perfect, that guy's completely satanic and that's it. The uncritical lover. Others do the opposite. They're the loveless critic. 
Everything about this is wrong. It's all wrong. There's no hope for anything politically. It's all, it's, it's all wrong. And, there's no, and you go, man, it's almost like you're angry, but you almost enjoy your anger a little too much. What's going on there? Here, Daniel, notice, critical but loving. It's a lesson there. Willing to tell the hard truth, but cares for the human being. And so he says, okay, you know that, that tree you saw, King Neb, that, it, you know, reached to the heavens, your kingdom's as high as the heavens. Spread out, your kingdom has spread out. So all those animals nesting in its shade, those are all your citizens? Yeah, so the tree, it's you, O king. You're the tree. And that tree is going to be cut down. And here's exactly what that means. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree, the most high. You're going to see that over and over again. Why? Nebuchadnezzar is the most high. What are you talking about? Marduk is the most high. Bell's the most high. We're in charge. Nope. I know it's easy to, I know, I know you think that. I know because the nations are raging right now. And I know back in Jerusalem, my temple's torn down. And I know my walls are torn down. But what you need to know, Nebuchadnezzar, is that it looks like Yahweh's out of business. No, he's in fact very much in business. And he rules over all the kingdoms of men. So you're high, but you need to answer to one who is most high. No matter what it looks like. I know, it looks like I'm an Israelite slave. Let, Let me explain something to you. Our God is the one true God. And the most high has issued this decree against my Lord. Earthly rulers may have mighty power, only God is almighty. There's a big difference between mighty and almighty. And here's the message, verse 25. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. In other words, you're gonna lose your mind. You're gonna go insane and take on, you're gonna think you're an animal. In fact, uh, uh, psycho, uh, psychotherapists have, have diagnosed this. This is a disease, a, a, a Bowen, uh, I, it's something, the Latin word for cow or ox. Uh, this slips my mind. But the, the, you'll eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you. And it's like, what does that mean? Seven weeks, seven days? I don't know. <laughs> seven times will pass by for you until, we've seen this before, you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree, the next verse, with its roots means that it's not all hope is gone. You're going to be cut down. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to go, go insane. But, but your kingdom will be restored to you. Nobody's going to touch the stump. When you acknowledge that not you, not you. No, no, no. You have a lot of power, but not you. When you humble yourself, when you're not so arrogant, when you acknowledge what? Who rules? Heaven rules. When you acknowledge Heaven rules. This is a huge blow to the ego of the leader of the known world, Nebuchadnezzar. To be told, you are not sovereign. There's one who is sovereign over you. You are not as in control as you think you are. You are not as high and mighty. You think you marched into Israel? You only got, God let you do that. Make no mistake, this is a warning to every proud ruler throughout the world. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. It's God who's in charge. And then he does this merciful thing. If you drop down to verse 27, Daniel has this conversation. This is such a mercy. And Daniel says, you know, there are times when God will make these judgments, but if you will repent, like if you would just, king, King, can I? I? I mean, even the way he says it, Daniel's so tender, and you can tell he like. Therefore, your Majesty, please um, be pleased to accept my advice. Let me just give you some advice. 
if you would just not be so arrogant. If you would just not walk in such pride. If you would renounce your sins by doing what is right. And I love that. Renounce your sins by doing what's right. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have years and years of Sunday school. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a theological degree. But everybody can understand, stop with the sinning, start with the doing right. (laughs) But in case you can't, let me get it real specific. Stop your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. You want to know you have a heart that's been touched by the gospel? You'll have new eyes and new compassion for those that are oppressed. Who are the oppressed? The oppressed are the oppressed, period. Some are oppressed because they're little babies in the womb fighting for survival, and they're oppressed when their life is taken from them. That's oppression. Others are oppressed by systemic racism. They can't get a fair shot at the things in life because they're oppressed by race. Oppression is oppression. Fight all of it. Work for, work for the good of the poor and the, the downtrodden and the helpless. And look, 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 it may be, oh, Neb, if you would just humble yourself, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. Well, what happened? Did Neb repent? King Nebuchadnezzar, proud ruler? No. No, I, I, I think Neb, I think personally, I think Nebuchadnezzar stopped listening when he heard, eat grass like a cow. <clears throat> I think, oh, whoo, see, that's crazy talk. <clears throat> see, you had me a little bit. I, I was really terrified. But once I realized that literally it meant my mind's going to be taken away and I'm going to get down on all fours and start eating grass like an ox, that is so ridiculous. Now I know that dream was not a bad omen. It was just bad tacos that I'd had the night before and all as well, just a little indigestion. Now we can go on, no problemo, you, you lost me. Um, look at the mercy of God, look at the mercy of God. In the next verse, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar's telling it. All this happened, and now he switches to third person. 12 months later, a year goes by. Can, I, can we talk about the patience of God? You, you, you know, to, to, to say, I'm the most high, I'm sovereign. Now, your move, God, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, put myself up as if I'm God. And God doesn't immediately strike him down. He doesn't strike him down the next month or the next month or the next month. A year goes by. Can can we talk, if your loved one has not yet received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, if you continue to reject Jesus as your Savior, do you realize every breath you take is a mercy? It's God's patience. He's given you one more chance. He's giving you one more chance. If you see a sunrise in the morning, you need to thank God. He gave you one more chance to get right with him before it is eternally too late. He gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months. He would have been willing. Incredible mercy and patience of our God. 12 months. And 12 months later, what does he learn? He's, He's gotten worse than ever. He's gone off the rails with the pride thing. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said... Who says this? This is so outrageous. If you had to like, if you had to write a script of insanely prideful things, is not like who talks like this? He's looking out at his roof, looking out at Babylon. Is this not the great Babylon 
I have built as the... Nobody even like asks him a question. Describe to me your legacy. No, this is just how he thinks. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Is this a cartoon? Like who says that? Who says that? Who sounds like that? I wish it were a cartoon. I wish human beings never got to that point. Don't you? That sounds like some of our politicians is exactly who that sounds like. Notice the pronouns. I have built by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. I watched maybe two minutes and 12 seconds of the debate. I made it further than many of my friends. One of the things that was so frustrating was all the interruptions. But here's an interruption that we can all agree with. When a human being gets this prideful before God, the Bible says he got interrupted from God. Verse 31. How do I know it was an interruption? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. (laughs) I'm sorry, I've had enough, right? Heaven saying, enough. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been, what's that word? Taken from you. What do you mean taken? You can't take royal authority from me. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. This is my Babylon. No, you need to go home and really think, Nebuchadnezzar, about that word taken. Because taken means you're not as sovereign as you think you are. It means that I'm the one who gives the power and I'm the one who can take the power. It means that every earthly ruler has to bow the knee and answer ultimately to the most high. He's sovereign. Now, the most high, the reason Nebuchadnezzar has leadership power is that the most high has allowed it to happen. I know that it's meant to be a letter to uh, whoever wins the election, but I think it is uh, here that we should pause and say, you may not be a president You may not be running for president, but you have leadership. And I want to make a point here. It could be that you lead a family. It could be you lead a very small group of children and try to get them in the minivan, all with the proper shoes, on the right feet. I don't care at this point. I don't don't care. And get them out the door. What are you doing? You're leading. Some of you lead a business. Some of you lead a division. Some of you are teachers and you lead a class of students. Some of you are coaches. You have leadership. Some of you are the president of your sorority. You are the captain of your team. Some of you are pastors of a church. And yes, of course, to every president, I want to make one point. All leadership is stewardship. That means it is temporary and you must ultimately give account to the one who truly owns all sovereignty. Let me say it again. All leadership, if you're a note taker, I only have one point today, and that's it. All leadership is stewardship. It is temporary, and you are accountable to God. I heard Andy Stanley say that 15 years ago. It's always stuck with me. Leadership is stewardship. We talk about stewardship a lot in this church. What does that mean? It means I'm not the owner. It means I'm the overseer. I'm the manager. I am, I've been given some, any leadership in my life I've been given is a stewardship. That means it's temporary. It's not mine by right. I've got to... Answer for how this leadership, how it's been led. Accountability, accountable to God. And so, 
If you're not going to learn that lesson, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 32, it's going to happen. You will be driven away from the people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all. Have you heard this before? Most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Do you remember when Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate was growing frustrated that Jesus wouldn't answer any of the charges. He says, don't you know I hold your very life in my hands? Remember what Jesus told him? You wouldn't have an ounce of power but for what my father gave you. The only power you have is because the most high has given you power. It's to this day. And immediately, immediately, verse 33, immediately, He went crazy. He lost his mind. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Can you imagine being his staff in the palace trying to cover for this guy? Yeah, the king is not feeling well today. Um, Where is he? Uh, um, You know, he is in the field. Uh, today, and well, when, when, when can I see him? Seven. Seven what? 7 p.m.? No, it's just seven times. I don't know, okay, right? Somehow they cover it up. I mean, can you imagine? Um, at this point, by the way, also notice the mercy of God. In the ancient Near East, if you have a king who's eating grass like a cow, anybody who wants to overthrow that kingdom would move in. Somehow, because either they kept it secret or because that iron fence was around the stump. That's the point. God protected his kingdom. Somehow he got to get his throne back. Anyway, um, at the end of that time, uh, here's this, here's the thing. He's gone insane. And you would say, is the insanity, the fact that he's on the ground and, um, eating the grass like a cow? Well, yes and no. That is the outward manifestation of insanity, but his real insanity was his failure to acknowledge the most high. That's what really, you know, the Bible talks about insanity, it uses the word fool. Because God is the reality. He is the ultimate reality. To live as if there is no ultimate reality, to live as if there is no God, that's the ultimate foolishness. That's insane. That, Romans 1 is a perfect definition of insanity. Although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. So what? They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became Fools, to live as if there's no God, insanity. But, but, I mean, you look around, by the way, if you, if you ever wonder when you read the news, has the whole world gone crazy? The Bible would say, yes. The Bible has an answer. Many people don't like the Bible's answer, but you've got to admit, at least it gives a fair answer. To live without regard for God is insanity. So don't be surprised if what you see on the news is the result of insanity. Don't ever be shocked by that. Here's the hope. At the end of that time, how long was it, Nebuchadnezzar? Seven. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. This is an incredible testimony. Just like somebody giving testimony at church service, he's telling you about how low God brought him only so he can give praise. Let me tell you, here's how my sanity came back. When I lifted my eyes to heaven, when I took my eyes off myself, when I wasn't so proud, when I humbled myself, and believe me, I had to be humbled the hard way. I had to eat grass like a cow. But there's a connection. Raise your eyes toward heaven. Sanity restored. Then I praised the, and I love this. Nebuchadnezzar is the leader of the known world. And who does he say? What does he say? I praise the most high. 
I honored and glorified him who lives forever. What does that mean? It means his kingdom is an eternal dominion. That means my kingdom is temporary. My leadership is just stewardship. It is temporary, and I'm accountable to the Most High. If I'm the highest ruler in the land, everyone's accountable to me. But Nebuchadnezzar realizes I'm not the highest ruler. There is another higher than me, the Most High. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of men, with, excuse me, with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify. I mean, can we talk? This is a pagan king who is now writing psalms a pagan king who says, I glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, make no mistake, he is able to humble. And every one of his palace employees, when he said those who walk in pride, he's able to humble, every one of his employees said, yes, amen, uh-huh, that's right. We've seen it. If God can do that to the most powerful man in the land, then what, what is he going to have to say about my leadership? Can I ask you? What's he going to say about your leadership? You're leading something right now. Every one of you are leading something. You may say, well, I don't have that much to lead. You've got something. You say, well, I'm not the president. You're the president of something or someone. You're overseeing someone. You're, you're raising. You're helping. You're, you, you have stewardship over something. All leadership is stewardship. It is temporary. And we're going to have to give account. You and I who are on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know what, of course, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't. Nebuchadnezzar just gives praise, exaltation, and glorifying to the king of heaven. He doesn't know all that we know. He doesn't know how. He just knows, hey, I've been forgiven. I, I was humbled by God, and now I have, am, am somehow accepted by the Most High God. In fact, if you read the rest, God gave him even more uh, uh, after he had been restored. But, but you and I know how that happened. So I, don't think, I think Nebuchadnezzar rejoiced that it happened, but I don't think he knew how. We know how. And we know um, that Nebuchadnezzar was able to be healed from, he was a man, but he was living like an animal. He was able to be restored from his subhuman state. We know how that happened. We know it's because there was one who came as a suffering servant. And Isaiah 53 tells us that when Jesus was beaten on the way to the cross, his appearance was marred beyond human semblance he no longer looked human the son of God Jesus Christ became like an animal to save guys like Nebuchadnezzar who were living like animals see he took on that pain he absorbed that for the salvation of a wicked king Nebuchadnezzar and for a wicked sinner like all of us who've received this transaction that the suffering servant earned for us. So the message is pretty clear. To whoever becomes the next president, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So I wrote a letter. I don't know if he'll read it, but I put it in Courier New so it would look like a typewriter. Dear Mr. President, welcome or welcome back. See, I, see, I don't know who it's going to be. So if it's the incumbent, obviously it's welcome back. And if it's the other one, then it's just welcome. Welcome or welcome back to the Oval Office. 
While we recognize that you were, in one sense, put into office by the vote of the people, we also believe there was a higher power at work. There's an infinite difference between mighty power, which world leaders have, and almighty power, which God has. Will you daily acknowledge the almighty? You will receive plenty of advice as you consult with the best and brightest from around the world. Will you take time to consult with the maker of the world? As the great King Nebuchadnezzar was once reminded, the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. This means that your leadership is stewardship. It is temporary and you will be held accountable. So humble yourself before the Most High God on behalf of us, the people you love and lead. Yours sincerely, Tom, us. Let's pray. God, we humble ourselves as your people. We acknowledge that you are the most high God and no one had to put you in office. No one had to elect you. No electoral college had to uh, vote you in. You reign and your kingdom, as Nebuchadnezzar so rightly said, is an everlasting kingdom. It's an everlasting dominion. And we recognize, Lord, that all throughout Scripture, you exalt the lowly, but you humble those who walk in pride. And so, God, we pray for our nation. We pray, Lord, for your will to be done. This election, we pray for your kingdom to come in big and small ways. And I pray for everybody who's not just a, a president of a nation. I pray for every person who hears this message. They, they lead. They, they oversee something. God, grant to us that all leadership would be stewardship and that none of us would have this pride of Nebuchadnezzar and that we would recognize that you, the Most High, are sovereign over all the earth. You give these kingdoms to anyone you wish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of reflection, response. I want you to think about how the word of God from Daniel 4 and Romans 1, how it sinks into your heart today. Uh, Chuck's gonna lead us through a verse or two. If you wanna pray with a minister, Pastor Scott will be here to receive anyone who wants prayer. You could just wanna pray right where you are. But let's stand to our feet together now. And Chuck, you lead us. And let's reflect. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Holy Spirit 
kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 